0: I want to share with you today, I think, an appropriate uh, message for um, the season that we're in, and and this being the first uh, Sunday of the new year, but we want to talk today about God's plan for your life. God has a plan for you. You hear that? I said God has a plan for you. If you have your Bible with you or a device or a Bible and scripture in any form, please open it up with me to a couple of verses that might be have become some of the most recognizable verses in the scripture for people who really know God and love him. Unfortunately, they're frequently misinterpreted, but uh, I want to use that as my primary text for this morning. Please turn your Bibles to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 13. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now I want to read this in a different translation, the New Living Translation. That's the New International Version. Let me read it to you once more using the New Living. For I know I have plans. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster. To give you a hope, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Let me set the backdrop, if I may, just for a moment for the text that we're studying from here in Jeremiah. Because it's frequently quoted by people. A lot of people love that verse, but they have no clue what the backdrop and the background and the context is for it. We obviously know that it comes from the prophet Jeremiah, don't we? What you may not know is that Jeremiah was not in Babylon. He was not one of the exiles, but he was writing a prophetic admonition to God's people who were in exile, who had been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. They had been in Babylonian captivity, and what some people also don't realize is they still had many, many more years of captivity left even after this prophecy came. In fact, estimates are about 70 more years of captivity would take place before they would be fully released. Many of these who were hearing this prophetic word from God through Jeremiah were people who were totally depressed and overwhelmed by their situations. They had been in captivity. They were God-worshipping people. They knew Jehovah God. They worshipped him. But many of them had totally lost faith and lost hope in God. Why? They were far from Jerusalem. And they were in another land and another culture living in captivity. They were basically serving the Babylonian empire. They weren't allowed to worship the way that they really desired to worship. They didn't have the same freedoms that they would. You know how it is if you've been on a trip for a while? How it is when you come home and you, you, you get your feet back on American shore and you go, "Well, there's no place like home. There's just no place like America. Thank God for this country. Thank God. And when you get back in your own bed, whoo, it even gets better. Y'all know what I'm talking about? There's nothing like it. Imagine what these exiles, these Jewish elders and leaders and exiles, how they must have felt after these years of literally trying to survive while in captivity. This is the text of the prophecy that was sent From Jeremiah. As I said. These were Jews. Who were quite hopeless. In verses 4 through 6. It actually describes that. If you go earlier in the chapter. And it talks about these exiles. Being that this was written to those. That had no hope. These exiles had lost everything. Except for their very life. And just a few possessions. That they carried with them on into Babylon. They would lost their freedom. They had lost everything. They felt hopeless and many of them depressed. Just before I get to kind of my two main points I want to leave you with this morning, I was just observing even last night in my final preparations for the message that I've been praying about here all this week and working on. I just picked up two principles that I want to share with you that are just kind of overarching principles from the text. Uh, and its background that I want to share before I give you the main two points that I'll share with you. The first principle was that if you really understand what's going on here and you understand a proper interpretation of what the verses are here that God's speaking to his people, you'll understand that God is more interested in character development than he is comfort and convenience. Now, we've got it turned around in a lot of circles today. We somehow really want God to make life so comfortable and convenient for us that everything is easy and smooth and everything's great and nice and we have everything we want and etc. Now, as good as God is, the truth of the matter is that God orchestrates and He is a sovereign God. And there are many times we find ourselves in circumstances that God desires to use in order to develop our character. Any of you ever experienced that before? found that God's trying to teach you something and yet our focus tends to be on how can I just get comfortable how can I just get a little bit more convenient and yet what God's trying to do is he's trying to say I'm trying to orchestrate something in your life I want to teach you something and God is trying to speak to these people to help them be encouraged but I think he's also wanting to convey that he's more concerned with their obedience than he is their comfort as I said these people, most of them were going to spend another 70 years in captivity. Others were going to die without ever having been fully restored back to Israel. God's ultimate goal for your life on earth is not your comfort. I've got news for you. He wants your character to be godlike. He's interested in conforming us to his image. Sometimes God will allow us to spend time in a desert or even in a captive situation that is uncomfortable and inconvenient in order to build character and test our obedience. That's not the kind of news that many times you want to hear, but I think that principle is evident in this passage. The second thing that I want to point out as an overarching principle is this. These were people who were in pain. In pain. They were hurting and God is speaking this prophetic word as a word to lift them in their situation, to lift them and give them encouragement and hope. But I have also discovered, as I know that many of you have, that our pain often reveals God's purpose in our life. Where we hurt the most sometimes is a revelation for how God wants to use us, you see, God never will waste anything. He's always about accomplishing something in our lives. If you've gone through a hurtful situation, some of you have gone through losing a child, some of you have gone through losing a marriage, some of you have gone through uh, losing, having rebellious uh, teenagers and having them wander away from God, and some of you are still praying them back. Uh, all kinds of experiences. Some of you have gone through financial bankruptcy before. and We go through all this stuff and all weird, many times we go through it and we just say, I just want out. Please, Lord, just give me deliverance. I just need to be restored and we, we just want to focus on that. But many times the pain we go through, although I'm not suggesting by any means that God has authored it, he will author the use of it. And our pain many times will reveal how God wants to use us. How can someone minister effectively to a widow who's never felt the pain of the loss of a loved one? Who can better help someone through a bankruptcy than somebody who's gone through it and overcome and built their way back to financial stability? Who can better help someone who's struggling with an addiction than someone who's been there? Carrie and I uh, understand that from several perspectives. Uh, Through our now 42 years in full-time ministry, we've had plenty of ups and downs. And uh, maybe one of the roughest was when our two sons were, in their teenage years, I was pastoring a church. And um, they were totally in rebellion against God. We don't know what switch turned on, turned off. We don't know what happened. We raised them according to God's word and the best that we knew. But, man, they went weird in high school, really, really weird. And um, it was so bad that I resigned, the church that I was passing out, I resigned 12 times over three years now. N- my leaders never would accept my resignation, but anyway, I resigned. Tw- I resigned that many times. And we had, I mean, that was the last thing I wanted to have had to deal with was, a, you know, getting my kid out of jail on Saturday night before church the next morning that I've got to preach God's word. But do you know what? I won't go any more into our, our challenging three years. Do you know that today we're able to minister to people that if we had not had a struggle during the adolescent years of our two sons. We'd never be able to relate to them. And frankly, I've had people come to me who couldn't go to someone else, another spiritual leader, because they said they probably won't understand. And I said, why are you coming to me? Well, I know you understand. <laughs> I'm, set, I'm thinking, you are dead right. And they said, how did you get through it? Said, and then, of course, we share you know, our story and, the good news and how to hold on and how to believe and stand and have faith. Your pain often reveals God's purpose in your life. The very thing, listen to me carefully, the very thing maybe even right now that some of you hate the most in your life or that hurts the most is what God is wanting to use for good. Consider that. Now, to the text. I want to leave you with two main thoughts today and observations from this important study here uh, from Jeremiah chapter 29. Number one. Number one. It's pretty obvious. God has a plan for you. Number one, he has a plan for you. That's what's stated in verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And then he begins to describe what those plans are. By the way, literally in the Hebrew, it's a a beautiful uh, language that says here, literally God is saying, I know what I am planning for you. I know what I'm planning for you. Do you know God's planning something for you? God, the almighty, all-sovereign, providential God, has a plan cooked up for you and for me. I don't know about you, that's just exciting when I think about how providential God is. That's a word sometimes uh, theologians like to use. A lot of people don't understand what the word providence or providential means. Uh, It literally suggests this. The word providence comes from two words, pro, uh, which means before, and video, which means to see. Isn't that interesting? So it literally means this. It means that God sees before. Before. He's an all-knowing God, isn't he? He knows everything that's going to happen before it happens. This means that God sees beforehand everything about your life, your circumstance, your context, your family, your business, your city, your nation. God sees everything beforehand and plans accordingly. He is a planning God. By the way, just a quick aside, if God is all about planning, how many of you think that maybe some of us ought to do more planning? A dream without a plan, it's just a wish. Likely won't happen. Anyway, I'm off subject. God has a plan for us. Now, the question, of course, becomes what kind of plan? Does the the scripture verse here tell us what kind of plans that God has for us? Yes, he becomes even more detailed here to share with us what those plans are. First of all, they were always good. He clarifies what kind of plans they were. He says, the plans that I've got for your life are always good. I don't know about you, but this is a comforting thing to me. Because some Christians, even Christians, a lot of unbelievers, but Christians have this idea that everything that God has for them is not good, that, that, that there's actually harm coming their way, that there's stuff that's not to their own good or their own welfare. God's plans not Missing one of his plans for your life are evil or have wrong intent. Every one of them are good. You know why? Because he's good. He's good. And because that's his nature, that's because it's his character, his goodness. Therefore, the plans that he has for you are good. He's out for your welfare. Two scriptures that help to support the idea. Psalm 34, 8 says what? Taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Who wants to take refuge in a God whose plans are not good? No, I don't want to do that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, speaking of the subject of faith in that chapter, it says, but without faith it's impossible to what? To please God. But go on and finish out the verse and see what it says. Not only is it impossible to please him without faith, but it says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, watch this, and that he is a what? A rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God makes it very clear in scripture. He is a God who blesses and does not curse. Curses are not from God. Abraham's blessings and curses clarify what we can expect and anticipate if we're following God as God's goodness expressed to us. God is a good God. He is a rewarder. Just turn to someone next to you and say, he's a rewarder. Just turn to someone and say, he is a rewarder. How many of you ever gotten a reward? Found something, turned it in, got a reward? Hopefully you didn't keep it, steal it. Um, got, a, got an award, a reward for something you did, excelled at work. You know what I'm talking about? You know, having an understanding of God as a rewarder tells us that he's good. Amen? Now, we know that his plans are good. What else do we read and learn in this passage about his plans for us? We learn that his plans are to what? It says to prosper you. Now, by the way, I think it's helpful that we not get lost in sometimes the the language that we read in some translations and we get behind it. We really do a little study and find out what does that word mean? The word here for prosper is literally the Hebrew shalom the word that you know typically is what? Peace. The problem is, is that when I say peace to you, you immediately think absence of conflict, that's, you know, that's what comes to our mind. We think the word peace. But that's not what the word shalom really intends and carries with it. The word shalom may be one of the most pregnant words in the Hebrew language because it's full and packed of meaning. And it includes these things that I have here on this slide. It suggests wholeness, a place of safety, a place of being totally well-orbed in our completeness. It really deals with the full realm of God's saving power. When it says that God's plan is to prosper you, yes, it includes restoration, which is what the hopeless Israelites were sure, that's what they were hoping for. Well, we just need to get out of the situation. And God was basically saying, "Yes, I'm going to get you out of this situation, but it may not be on your timetable." It may not be, and it wasn't. In 2 years. By the way, quick quick parenthesis. Did you know that earlier there was a false prophet who was prophesying in Jeremiah's day in the temple that God was going to deliver the exiles out of captivity and said and put a time on it, said it's going to happen in 2 years. Jeremiah was coming along in this prophecy as a reaction to the false prophecy and said, that was wrong. That wasn't right. That wasn't what God's was saying. Now, let me assure you, I know you're in a hopeless situation. Now you feel discouraged. I know you feel overwhelmed. But listen to me. God's gonna, God wants to prosper you. He wants to bring soundness, completeness, and hold to you. He even wants to restore you and deliver you out of your bondage. But it's going to be on his terms. But here's how you can make it in the mess. If you're in a mess, I don't know about you, I know a lot of people. I, I, I make my own messes usually. I, but if you're in a mess, you need to figure out how can I make it? How can I get through this and do it in a way that's going to glorify God? Well, the word prosper here should be encouraging to you. He says, my plans for your life are to prosper you. He wants you to be contented in harmony, in total well-being within yourself as well as those around you. Isn't that a powerful word. Many people misunderstand the word shalom. And some of them think it just means hello, goodbye, farewell, and or it just means peace. But it means far more than that. So the first thing God says is, I want to prosper you. How many of you could stand today to have some of that shalom in your life here? Eh? How many of you feel that you're maybe can relate to these exiles? You're in a fix. You're in a mess. You're in situations you can't climb out of in your own power. You say, I'm going to today hold on to God's plan to what? To prosper me. Let's look at the next phrase. Not only does he have plans to prosper you, to bring shalom, but also, he says, my plans are what? To give you hope. God is interested in giving us hope. You ever thought how powerful hope is? Sometimes we get so used to these words, we read the scripture and we go through it and we're doing our once a year Bible, you know, reading the Bible through in the year and uh, we we read these words and they just, they go in one ear and out the other. Um, there was a television commercial quite a number of years ago that uh, showed a person in a, in a cell, someone had, um, I don't remember what it was promoting, but anyway, it was a man in a cell and showed someone on the streets who had, been doing drugs and it's the the verbiage of the ad said this. A man can live 40 days without food. Four days without water. Four minutes without air. But not four seconds without hope. Hope is actually the cry of all humanity. A lot of people don't realize that they're needing hope. Even some of you sitting here today, you need hope. Without hope, it's desperate. That's why the psalmist realized how important it was and spoke to himself in Psalm 42 and verse 11, saying, why, speaking to himself, why are you so downcast? Why are you so depressed, soul? Why are you so disturbed? Put your hope in God. Who's he talking to? Himself. Put your hope in God. Some of you need to wake up tomorrow and say to yourself, Put your hope in God. Why are you downcast? You have no reason to. Why? Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. That's why. Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him. In other words, I'm going to praise him no matter what my circumstance is. Hope is one of the most powerful energizing words in our language. It'll energize people with excitement. It gives us anticipation as we look to the future. Hope gives us a reason to live. It takes obstacles and it transforms them into into possibilities. Hope gives strength and courage when we need to make the most of life. God says, I have plans for you. They're good. They're not evil. They're not bad. They're good. I have plans to do what? To shalom. Give you shalom. But also to what? To give you hope. One more thing he specifies as far as his plan for you. It's a good thing, too. He says, I also have plans to give you a future. Now, you might say, well, I'll we have a future. doesn't mean anything. Well, this scripture does mean something. Because this time when the scripture is speaking about a future, it's really speaking more than just things that are going to happen to you over the next X number of days or years. It's speaking of a perspective on your Upcoming days and years that are connected to a destiny. Destiny. God is saying, my plans, think about it, my plans for you are to give you a destiny. Every single one of you, God has a destiny for you. Even those who don't know Christ yet, God has a destiny for them. They just haven't discovered it yet. Destinies are not automatic or guaranteed. They're not guaranteed. So you can't walk out here and say, well, boy, I'm glad to hear that. I don't know There's something we're going to do. We'll, he gives us a little start help here in a second. Destinies are not automatic. They're dependent upon our willingness to obey and to follow after God. But this is God's desire. His plan for you to give you a destiny. That's hopeful, isn't it? I love the passage in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 that tells us that God's made every one of us he is his what? His workmanship. The word there literally means we're the, his artwork, his poem, his, his, his piece of his creativity stamped on your life. Not one of you being the same. All of you being unique in how he's constructed and made us. For the Israelites, this was a promise of restoration. It was a promise of God's got a plan. Even if I died here, I'll know I could actually fulfill God's destiny right here in Babylon. Up to this point, they were anti-Babylon. In fact, the previous verses, you can read them on your own, actually tell them to pray for their their own country, to pray for their own city. They had an attitude. I know Christians today that have an attitude. About their community and about their nation, God wants to tell us: Look, I may, I may even allow this circumstance. I may allow things to continue for a while, but I have a destiny, a plan for you to be used right there in the middle of it. I've got a destiny. The key is to discover His destiny. Do you know what God has created you for? I'm speaking to every one of us here. Do you know what God has created you for? Do you know what his, his his destiny plan, do you know what that convergence phase of your life looks like? Do you know what your destiny is? I encourage you to begin to seek God, search deep inside, and find that God has created you for something. and Find out what it is. I'd even encourage you to go beyond that. And here over the next few weeks, I'm actually going to be doing a series on on discovering destiny and finding your identity and destiny for God. But one of the keys is to, to realize that how God's made you and then to discover through a process what his will and plan is for you. I would even love to see every one of you walk out uh, of those series, or if you haven't already, with a clarified, written life mission statement in your hands. If you don't, how will you ever find a sweet spot in life? You'll just go through the mundane. Go through the motions. I'm just in the rat race, and most of us are losing the rat race. Find God's purpose. Find his destiny and follow it with all your heart. Now, I want to wrap up with this. What does God expect from us? All this is great news, right? But notice that Jeremiah 29 didn't leave it there, but it goes on from verse 11 to verse 12, and it says what? Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Just really simple. It's two things that it leaves us with. What are we to do? All this good news, typically we find this pattern in Scripture, don't we? We find a promise, and we find... A condition. We find a promise. and We find a condition. But too many Christians run with the promise. And never work on the condition. Never think about the condition. Oh that was a conditional promise. We have the promise. What's the condition? Pray. Seek. Pray. Seek. And God gives an additional promise with each. He says, if you'll pray, what? I will what? I'll listen. Isn't that good to know? Did you know there are a lot of other people around the world who serve in other religions and who worship weird things, and they don't have that promise? They can't claim that promise that they know that their God's going to listen. God's listening to your prayers. When we communicate with God, he's listening. So he says, what do you need to do? Pray. He said, and I'm listening. I'm attentive.' And then he says, seek. In other words, go after him, pursue God. That speaks of an attitude. It doesn't just speak of an action. I'm going to seek God for the next 21 days as we have prayer and fasting. I'm seeking God deep within. I'm, I'm going after him with all of my heart, all of my intent, wholeheartedly going after God. Just one scripture reminder for the sake of time. Second Chronicles 17 is a well-known passage on prayer. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and what? And pray and seek. Do you see it again? And pray and seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. How do we do this? Wholeheartedly, he says. There's a story that was told many years ago um, about a three-year-old boy who went to the grocery store with his mother. And uh, as a typical kid was, he, before they even got it to the store, before they ever got into the grocery store, he said to his mom, "Um, Mom, can I have a chocolate chip cookie? Because he knew that in the store there's going to be chocolate chip cookies. And the mother said to him, Now, son, listen, before we go in the door, I want you to know right up front, don't even ask. You're not getting any chocolate chip cookies, so don't even ask. So she put him in the cart. They, he was sitting in the little child seat in the cart. They were wheeling down the aisles, and everything was going fine until they came to the cookie section. And, of course, you can imagine, he immediately began to say, Mom, I want some chocolate chip cookies. And she said, Son, I told you before we even got to the store, you're not having any chocolate chip cookies. No, don't even ask. They continued down the aisles, searching for the other items on their list. And they passed by the end cap of the cookie aisle one more time, and the son didn't miss the opportunity. He said, Mom, can I have some of those chocolate chip cookies? She said, I told you, son, you cannot. No, don't ask me again. Sit down and be quiet. Confession time. Any parents here relate to this? Okay. So they go to the checkout lane. Okay. There's several people in front of them. They're in the checkout lane waiting for their turn to check out. She's putting her groceries on the, uh, on the belt, We're ready to check out. And the kid stands up in his child seat and says, May I have chocolate chip cookies in Jesus' name? <laughs> Everyone in the store, that part of the store, heard the kids cry. And they all the people, everybody started applauding and clapping for the kid. And the mother was so totally embarrassed. In the name of Jesus, may I have some chocolate chip cookies. Well, by the time they left the store, due to the generosity of all the other shoppers, the mother and the boy left with 23 boxes of chocolate chip cookies. Now listen to me. I'm not suggesting that when you pray and seek God the way you should, you're going to end up with chocolate chip cookies. But I want you to know, We'll never discover God's best till we seek Him with all of our hearts. Amen? I want to leave you with this thought today. Do you know that God has plans for you? Do you know that they're good plans? They're plans to prosper you. They're plans to give you hope. Some of you may be here today and say, man, I need a dose of hope. Some of you here today and say, I I need to refocus on my destiny and not just get caught up in the mundane. Could we pray today and focus in on those needs? I'm going to ask that you would stand and I'm just going to ask that our ministry prayer teams would come to the front at this time and be posted here for, for prayer. And I just want to talk to you a second before we pray. As you close your eyes, God desires to give you his best. Sometimes we want God's plans on our terms. But truly seeking God means to seek Him under His Lordship. Matthew 6 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then everything else will work itself out. Are you committed to seeking God with all your heart? Some of you have known the Lord for a long time. You could tell us when you made a commitment to Christ and when you were baptized and so on and so on, but you're not wholeheartedly seeking God now. Would you just recommit today to that? Would you make a decision today that not another day of 2015 is going to go on without you being totally sold out, all in to seek God, serve God in your life? Let God have the place in your life that He not only deserves, but He also demands. That's first place. Some of us have fallen out of good prayer habits. Would you make a commitment to start this year off right? Beginning January the 10th through the end of January, we're going to be praying and fasting as God would direct each of us individually for 21 days. A time of seriously seeking God. We'll have some times during the week and early mornings that you can even gather here if you'd like and pray. But you know, that takes a real commitment, doesn't it, to do something like that? It'll take a greater commitment for you to seek God through all 12 months. Maybe you need to recommit yourself today to just a life. If you're here this morning, and I'm going to lead you in a general prayer, but if you're here and you want specific prayer, maybe you don't even know Jesus Christ personally. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. You can have that today. And we have uh, prayer ministry couples who are standing here, and they'll receive you as you come pray with you. These are trained people who know how to pray and stand with you. If you need Jesus to come into your life, Maybe you've already known him, but maybe you're far from him now. Make a recommitment today so you can get in on God's destiny. If you maybe just have some other particular prayer need, maybe for healing, we believe God heals. Maybe you're being oppressed and you just need some freedom in your life. and error, We believe God sets free. Whatever it may be, if you have a need, please feel free to avail yourself of ministry here at the front of our auditorium. and. Uh, We'll honor that here at the end of our service. Can I just pray a general prayer for you? We're going to sing a chorus of one of the songs we sang earlier, and we'll close. If you need prayer in any of these areas, would you just reach out to him right now? Father God, I thank you so much for your love, your care for us. I thank you that your plans are for our welfare. We don't always understand your providence. We don't, we don't always understand what goes on and why it goes on. We don't even claim to be able to figure it all out. But we know this. You are a good God. You're a God of love. And you're a God that has a plan for each of our lives. Lord, we don't want to miss it. Lord, some of us are detouring. We've missed it. We're on side road, side tracked. Some of us fallen down hopeless, without hope, in despair, overwhelmed by situations of life. We feel like the waves of life have just crashed on us. Today, Lord, let us discover hope through Jesus Christ. Let us receive that, some of that shalom completeness today. God, I pray, I bless those that are here today. And I pray, Father, that the Spirit of the living God would move us and admonish us and motivate us to live for You. Totally surrendered. Let 2015 be a remarkable year. Not only for what You do for us, Lord. We know that You're a good God. But Lord, what we do in turn in serving You. So I bless Your people today in whatever situation there may be. In Jesus' name. Amen.